for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. It was uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the author of Fight Club, probably the only reference you'll ever hear to that in church, that said, the things that you own end up owning you. The French sociologist Jean Baudrillard said this, Consumption is a system of meaning. We assign values to ourselves and others based on the goods we purchase. One's identity is now constructed by the clothes you wear, the vehicle you drive, and the music on your iPod. This is a little bit outdated. In short, you are what you consume. I'll say that again. In short, you are what you consume. We're in part three of our series, It Is Written, and in this series, we're discussing the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness that are recorded in great detail in the Gospel of Matthew, which is where we've been, and in the Gospel of Luke, and to a less extent in the most primitive Gospel, the Gospel of Mark. We're identifying three temptations that Jesus faced and overcame during this 40 days in the wilderness in which he is preparing for a three and a half year public ministry. Uh, We've also said that in this period when Jesus is in the wilderness and Jesus is going through these temptations that he is facing, that there is a connection with these temptations to the exact same kinds of sins that we struggle with every day. In fact, we took this a little bit further and we even said that these sins are, if you take any sin that you could possibly struggle with, Almost everything that you could struggle with is going to fall into the category of one of these three sins. And this is why this is so important. We've also talked about these sins as being very woven in to the American way. And the practices that we have every day as a society, many that we brush over and even accept within the church. We also discussed that these three temptations in the wilderness do occur at a significant time because it's right after the baptism of Jesus, and right before Jesus does begin this public ministry. So he is fasting alone with God for 40 days in preparation for what's to come. The three temptations that we've identified are as follows. Week one, we talked about the problem with appetite, or what we could call hedonism, the problem with pleasure. It may be food, it may be shopping, it may be drugs, it may be sex, it may be alcohol. There are all of these things. It could be getting ahead, working yourself to death, the feeling that you get as a result of the gratification that recognition brings, all of those things that would fall into that category. Last week, we talked about the problem with power, or what we would call egoism. And some of you were probably immediately able to say, well, I definitely don't struggle with power. I'm not in a position of power. But then as we get deeper into the roots of control and what that looks like in our lives, it may not be on a corporate scale or on a political scale or on some kind of national stage or some kind of celebrity stage, 
But on a small scale, many of us struggle with this form of power. And then we're finishing today with one that I promise is going to strike a nerve with some of you. And this is the problem with possessions or what we could call materialism. So a thought for today as we bring this whole thing three circle, uh, full circle, this whole thing as we look at the last three weeks is this. Appetites distract us. Power corrupts us. And again, we're not necessarily talking about corporate power. We're talking about the power we try to exercise in our own lives, our individual autonomy. Possessions control us. All right? Appetites distract us. Power corrupts us. Possessions control us. So if we have the ability to be controlled, if we have the ability to be distracted, if we have the ability to be corrupted, then we are exactly where the enemy would have us be, which is exactly where the enemy is attempting to get Jesus before Jesus enters into this public ministry. All right, so we're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew one more time, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 11, same scripture that we've looked at the last two weeks, and this is what is going on here right after the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. This is the first temptation. But he answered, it is written. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, temptation number two, and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And here is the enemy quoting scripture, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, quoting the scripture back, Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, and then this is the third temptation, and the temptation that we want to look at today is covered in verse 8 and verse 9. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, everything that a person could possibly imagine having ownership over. And he said to, these, he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil, knowing finally that he was beaten, then the devil left him and suddenly angels came waiting on him. So there are really two things that are going on that we want to talk about today as we talk about specifically this notion of, of possessions. The first is this, the enticement of possessions. All right, we see things that we want. We see things that we desire, or we even see things in certain situations in our lives when they're there that we don't get rid of. So please, even though we're going to talk about the wealthy today, and I know that the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, really beats up on the wealthy, and in some cases for good reason, we're not just talking to the wealthy today. All right, we're talking to some of you in here that have maybe seen that show Hoarders. All right, you know what I'm talking about? We're talking to some of you that have boxes and boxes and boxes and stuff and all of these things that you have that aren't necessarily expensive things, but things that you have placed a tremendous amount of value on. So we're not just talking about 
Maybe the wife that likes to, every time the paycheck goes in the bank, or maybe sometimes when the paycheck's not even in the bank, likes to do just a little bit of online shopping, or likes to take care of just a little bit of, of retail therapy, or recognizes, you know, that, that when, a, when a family is moving or when a family is trying to take care of certain things in their lives, we, we can't get rid of this. Why can't we get rid of this? But we just can't get rid of this. All right? This, this, this ownership over, over possession. So it is the enticement that we do have, especially toward new things, but also the persuasion toward false worship. That's also going on in this passage is this persuasion toward false worship because the enemy in this passage is, is, is asking for worship. So I believe that these things are the same thing, the enticement of possession and then this push toward false worship. And this is the reason that I believe they're the same thing. Please hear this. We are controlled by what we worship. We are controlled by what we worship. If we worship God and we have true, authentic, and full worship of God, that is what we worship and that's what controls us. If we worship a love interest in our life, this new girlfriend that you have, this new boyfriend that you have, this significant other, that is what you, that is what you are controlled by. If it is a phone, which it is for a lot of people, if it is a car, if it is a home, if it is a hobby, if it is a bottle, then this is what controls you. This is what you worship. So I want to offer just briefly a little perspective just so that we understand what American Christianity looks like because please understand something. For those of you that grew up in a denomination and you still hold very closely to that denomination, and for those of us, which I believe is everyone in here, that grew up in the United States of America, we live in a bubble and it's very difficult for us to comprehend our faith and also any way of life outside of that bubble. All right, let me tell you a little bit about what this bubble looks like, okay? This is talking about wealth in the United States and American Christianity. If you earn $32,440 a year, which is a pretty modest income, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You are extremely, so if you make $30,000 or more a year, on a global scale, you are considered the elite. You are considered extremely wealthy on global standards. In 2011, 88% of Americans qualified, so, so roughly 9 out of 10 Americans qualified as either upper, upper middle income or high income on a global scale, almost all of us. 56% of Americans still live on more than $50 a day, far exceeding the global average of 7% of people that live on more than $50 a day. Almost half of the world still lives on $2 or less per day. All right, I say these things because I believe that we are blind to our immense wealth. We are blind to what we have in our society, and we simply take it for granted. There are children in other countries dying every seven seconds of starvation, and we are throwing a fit when they get our coffee wrong at Starbucks. We are throwing a fit whenever our phone dies in the middle of the day. And these are the things that are going on in our world. We need to recognize this because without recognizing this, I don't know that it's fully possible to develop a desperate need for God because we're rarely in desperate situations. 
All right, and I promise that I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, so as people that live in the most consumeristic country that the world has ever known, what does Jesus think about consumerism? What does Jesus think about all of our options? What does Jesus think about where we are? All right, I, to, to clarify this, I want to investigate another, another passage, and I never do this. Like, I rarely ever share like two primary texts on, on, in one message, but I want to do that because I think it's so important this morning, okay? This is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 25, if you do want to turn there, or if you want to follow up here on the screen, that is perfectly fine as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 25, because this is so important, and it's going to strike some of you to the core today. Okay, so here we go. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 25. Let's make sure that we can get the scripture up here. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked. He gets on his knees before Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments, and he knows that this man knows the commandments because he can tell that this guy is a Jew. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. And, and listen, he is so proud at this moment. He is so proud because he says, Teacher, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. I'm in good shape. I am a really good rule follower. All right, and some of you type A types out there, like, but you're good rule followers too. Then Jesus looked at him carefully, and I love this, and he loved him. And he pours the agape love out on him in that moment. And he's like, I've got something else to tell you. He didn't look at him and judge him. He looked at him, and he loved him. And he said, you are lacking one thing when this man says, oh, crap. You know, what is this? What is it that I'm lacking? I followed all these rules. I have done my best. You're lacking one thing. Go sell what you own. And give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement. And went away saddened. Because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, because they're struck in this moment as well, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words started, startled the disciples that so Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. So what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? What is it that he's trying to show us about possessions today? The first thing I want you to recognize is this. Possessions dis disclose the condition of our hearts. Possessions are always going to disclose the condition of our hearts. And I'm not talking just about your expensive boat and all the cars in your driveway and your home. I'm also talking about all of the junk, you know, all of the stuff that you have. Possessions disclose the condition of our hearts. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you lack one thing. And here is the challenge that he gives him. Go sell all that you own and give the money to the poor. 
Then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus was able to offer a proposition to see where the man's loyalties were. As you go through your life and you follow Jesus, there are going to be many times that you you hit a crossroads. And when you hit that crossroads about something that you're supposed to turn off on Netflix, about something that you are not supposed to buy, about the kind of time that you are supposed to spend with your children and also with God, there are going to be these moments where Jesus is going to dig deeper to see where your loyalties are. And it's your responsibility to make the right decision. Sadly, he found that this man's loyalty was in his possessions. Often we like to consider how wonderful we are at keeping the law. And you see, I do this a lot because, because growing up in a, in a rugged individualistic society and definitely being a product of that and also a hard worker and a goal setter and all these things that I have to do, I really like to keep the law. I really like sometimes my achievements. But then what, God is, what Jesus is asking him to do is to give up his stuff. And this is too difficult. You see, many of you that are in here right now, you will never touch drugs or alcohol. All right? It's, it's just not your thing. All right? You'll never touch drugs or alcohol. You will never be the, the angry or the violent or the abusive type. All right? It's, it's just not in you. You'll never be uh, maliciously seeking to hurt other people the way that some people do. But you will be consumed constrained and controlled by your stuff. You will. This causes us to take Christianity, and instead of creating a worldview that we live by, we are creating another label. And it is a label that we have in our lives along with all of these other labels that we consider to be our stuff. Much of the way we view our faith or our walk with Christ is in a very consumeristic way. We're constantly asking the question, not what can I do for the church, but what can the church do for me? This is just another product of this form of consumerism and this form of possessions. Well, they've got a perfect kids ministry. We've got to go there. Well, they've got this going on there, so we have got to go there. And we are constantly seeking what can be poured into us instead of what we can actually pour into the body. We often refer to this as cafeteria Christianity. You know when you go through the line at the cafeteria or a buffet, you get what you want, but you leave out what you don't want? I really, really like this kind of pizza, but I'm definitely not touching the salad. I'm definitely not going to get that dessert. I'm definitely going to get this side, but not that side. We do the exact same thing with our faith when we look at it through the lens, lens of consumerism. I want to take the love of God. This grace idea looks absolutely wonderful. I like this particular ministry, but, but he's not going to hit me on that sin. We're not going to focus on that particular thing. Well, I completely disagree with this part of the Bible, and we try to make it something ourselves instead of what it actually is. Now, think about it this way, all right? And I want you to think right now for just a second on a gut level, all right, on a soul level. And I want you to think about the distraction, all right, the corruption and the control that we talked about going on as a result of these sins in our lives. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. 
When was the last time that you were really moved by the cross? When was the last time that the story of Jesus and the grace that is poured out to you, even in the midst of your own personal darkness and mistakes, when was the last time that that really moved you? Beyond singing words on a song, listening to a sermon, maybe getting teary-eyed because you're going through your Facebook memories and see that five years ago your child got baptized. Say, when was the last time that you were really shaken to the core, shaked to the core, shook to the core? I don't know. When was the last time that happened in a way that you were you were moved to make real changes in your life. Also recognize about possessions that they reveal what is truly meaningful in our lives. They're going to tell you what's meaningful every single time. Because when you make the decision, as this man made, that you cannot part with stuff. You know, I've got a lot of issues in my life. And as a product of recovery, I'm pretty open about it. That's what they teach us to do, just to be honest with you. But I've never really struggled with possessions. My wife would tell you this. Like when I get a, a new article of clothing, I get rid of an old article of clothing. Every time something comes in our house, I start telling Beth, what can we push out? If there's anything that I struggle with, and my family would tell you this, it's books. I've got books everywhere. That, that's my hoarding. That's my struggle. All right, but anything else, I'm ready to push things out the door, and, and, and just keep things as simplistic as possible. But this man wasn't. It says in verse 22, but the man was dismayed at the statement, and he went away saddened because he has many possessions. So I want you to think about this for just a second. All right? I want you to think about the desperation in a person's heart and the desperation in a person's life. And I want you to think about someone being so desperate that whenever they approach Jesus, after seeing Jesus do all these wonderful things, they literally get down on their knees like this, and they ask this question that you've thought about so many times fundamentally. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is this thing? What is it that I need to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do? You're obviously a miracle worker. You're obviously a prophet. You're obviously a teacher. Not quite there with the Son of God yet. Not quite sure about that. But, but you've got answers, and I need them. And then what do, we see? what do we see? The man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. This, to me, of, of the entire Bible, 66 books, is the saddest and most convicting moment in all of Scripture, in my opinion. A man that falls on his knees in front of Jesus asking about the meaning of life, and he was able to follow rules but he wasn't willing to enter into what is required in the kingdom and part with other things that mattered to him more. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is telling anyone in here today to go sell your possessions after church and give everything to the poor. I could be wrong, and I don't want to, to you know, get into that moment if the Spirit is dealing with you in that way, but I don't think God is telling anyone right now 
to literally get rid of everything that you have and sell to the poor. I think it was unique for this man. But I do believe he's calling some of you to downsize your lifestyle. Because you're, you're so distracted that you don't even recognize. You wear the label, but not the worldview. And he is calling you to downsize your lifestyle. I do believe that Jesus is telling some people that excess is the enemy of the cross. I do believe that he's telling some people that retail therapy is the opposite of radical discipleship. The message here is simple. It's very quiet in here. The message in this passage is simple. If you're not willing to give everything for the cause of Christ, everything in your life at any moment, whenever you hit one of those crossroads, if you're not willing to give everything for the cross of Christ, maybe you're confused about what the cause of Christ is. Maybe you understand what it means to be part of a church community. Maybe you understand a lot of the rituals and things that the traditions that you grew up with or that you've heard about. But maybe when you cross that intersection and you're not willing to say no to some of these things as this man really struggled with, maybe you struggle with what the cause of Christ really is. I was at a church in 2017 in South Africa, a very large Pentecostal church. In, in South Africa, probably 2,000, 3,000 people. And here was the amazing, th this church was on fire in a way that, in an atmosphere that I have never been in in my entire life. And here's what was the most fascinating thing to me. As Christianity is declining and church attendance is declining in the United States, it's growing in much of the global South. And I would say that 75% of the people that were in that church were under 30. You know how we're constantly talking about our churches are getting older and older and we're not seeing young people reproduced within the body of Christ? That was all this church was. And they were absolutely on fire for Jesus because Christianity was not simply a label. It was a form of desperation in one of the poorest areas of the world. It was a life-changing worldview. Lastly, possessions make known the true cost. As we've already shared, the true cost of following Jesus. I wish I could tell you the things in my life that I have had to give up, that I have held on to. I, wish, I think it was Corey Ten Boom that said this, but I love this quote. Hold on to the things in your life very lightly so that it won't hurt when God pries them away. Because that's going to happen. And if you're still in that same place and you're still, if you look at your life and you see in the last few years that you've made no observational changes, that you're still living in the comfort of going through your, your five or six, seven hours of being on your phone every single day, you're not, simple, you're not recognizing what's in front of you that you need to change, that you need to bring about. This is the place that we're often in. Verses 23 and 24 say, looking around, and this is Jesus' teachable moment to the disciples. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. It will be very, wealthy for the, for the wealthy, very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, please understand this, even if you attend church your whole life, it's hard to enter God's kingdom. It's difficult to enter God's 
kingdom. Please understand this. It is not a sin to be wealthy. All right? It's not. In fact, some of the most spiritual, gener- spiritually generous people that I've ever known in my life have been wealthy people. But we do enter into sin when we are not poor in spirit. When we don't understand what it means to be completely broken down by the power of the cross. You see, I can still recognize today like it was yesterday that I deeply, deeply struggled with alcohol and made very, very bad decisions for 12 years of my life. And despite what goes on in my life, all of the bad things that could possibly happen, even if I wasn't in ministry, that to take that direction again means death and heartache every single time. A lot of you recognize the old person. The old person still shows his face or her face every once in a while, and you understand the difference in where you are now. And it's because you come to these intersections that often involve difficult moments in your life where you have to give that drug up and get help. You have to sacrifice those possessions because you know they are destroying you. You have to mend your marriage and make it right. You have to make decisions that are always going to be for His, for his glory and for your good every single moment. So what is following Jesus going to cost you? Everything. And this means that you look at the ownership of things in a completely different light. So here's where we've been. Appetites distract us. Power corrupts us. Possessions control us. The things that you own end up owning you. And the presence of these things in the United States of America are everywhere. Everywhere. And this is why we need these 40 days. So do you want to know what Jesus does after his 40 days in the wilderness? We say that he goes out and starts his public ministry. And I think I'm going to do a series on this eventually. But he goes out and he grabs his disciples and he gives them the Sermon on the Mount which I consider to be the most scriptural teaching and sound teaching in human history. So the challenge that I have for you guys today as we close up, how are the hunger for appetites, the presence of power, or the comfort of possessions blocking your view? of the path to the cross and also an urgency for the lost, for the people around us that do not have this life-changing relationship with Jesus. How is your stuff? How is your control, your power in your life? How are your appetites blocking your view of the cross and the urgency that you must have for the lost. One thing that I shared with you guys whenever we opened up this series is that this series needs to be a series of confession. 
this series needs to be a series of repentance. Because you have appetites, you have things in your life, and it's, it's time to give those things up. And that might mean that you need to write on your Connect card today that you need help. That you need to, that you need to understand you're, you're a shopping addict and you need help. You are still struggling with drugs or alcohol after all of these years. And you need help. You struggle with control in your life and you need help. The most beautiful experience that we have as the church is confession and repentance. Because when we do this, we are reconciling ourselves to God in which He can make all things new. Some of you today need to run to the Father. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to use this time as a, as a, as a time of silence and a contemplative time for you just to think about the appetites in your life, the control of possessions, what power looks like, these dynamics. And I want for those of you that will to take out your Connect card. I always want to make sure, we want to make sure that we're giving you enough time to write on these Connect cards. So if there is something that you need to write down because you need prayer for it, if that's the way that you want to share, if that's the way that you want to open up in confession, I can promise you that the leadership of this church is regularly praying for you. If you know that you have someone in your life that is struggling with some of these things, also with the Connect card, you have this opportunity to write some of those things down. Let's have just a, just a minute or two of silence. you to think about how God is speaking to you this morning. How is God dealing with you? What needs to take place in your heart, in your life in order for us to move forward as a church body? I'm also, as we close today, I'm going to open up this altar and the only thing that we ask you to do is that if you do come forward, please just wear a mask. But we want to give you the opportunity to run to the Father this morning. We want to give you the opportunity. If you're more comfortable praying at your chair, that's fine as well. But today needs to be a day in which we lay things down. Today needs to be a day when we talk to other people and seek help for the afflictions that are going on in our hearts and lives as we move forward as a church. Father, we lift you up this morning. We thank you, God, for sending your son, for the spirit leading him into this wilderness, Father, to, pre to prepare for what was the greatest spiritual movement in the history of the world. 
And God, I pray for the dedication and the commitment and the devotion for you to tear down the walls of sin in our hearts and in our lives. God, for us to stop making excuses, for us to stop justifying the things that are there. And God, for us to not seek out an emotional experience, but a heartfelt, I am finished, I am done, I am walking forward with you. And Father, as we make that decision to embrace all of the pain, the suffering, the unknown, the anxiety, and everything that is going to follow, because in the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, there is strength. In the name of Jesus, there is certainty. And we claim that today. Father, work in the hearts and the lives of your people in Jesus' name. Amen.